Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Okay, we are going to uh, get started this morning. It's just a minute or two early, but I have a couple of announcements or a couple of things they ask that I would uh, say. So um, if you have not grabbed a uh, worksheet from the table, again, this is primarily just for you to be able to take some notes on. Um, Rather than just a blank page, I wanted to give you something that you could have some structure to. Because um, those of you that know me know I'm not a, um, I don't like blanks because then all you do, you don't think, you just fill in the blanks. And so, um, on your table, on the card, I believe, uh, should be, if not on the back table, there is a informational piece about the color code coming up. And uh, I was talking to Lindsay about this. So it is February 7th and 8th here at the church. Um, it is. $30 per person, I believe. Um, and I was joking with her, is that 70 a couple? And that covers the, the marital counseling that happens. She said no. But uh, if you want to sign up, sign up is only online. So you have to go to the church website. Or I assume, can you do that through the app? Do you know? Does anybody know? Can you do it through the app? Okay, I would assume so. Uh, Generally you can, but if you are interested in the color code, um, take one of these informational pages with you. The website is on there. She said it was anyways. Uh, I guess you can also call Haven Counseling for further information. See, I told you, (laughs) you're prepaying for the marital counseling. So. Uh, So please keep that in mind. did you get one? Yeah. Um, last week, we, uh, we got started, and uh, Kathy informed me that there were times where I wasn't projecting very well. I was, uh, Scott thought maybe uh, I should wear a microphone, but we're going to try it one more time without, just because I don't like wearing them. Uh, if it doesn't work, let me know. If you're having trouble hearing me, I'm going to try and make sure that I'm facing this way and I have a tendency to talk and turn that way. Uh, so, you know, I, I wasn't an actor as a, as a student. You always face the audience. So I will try and, and make sure that I am facing you. So as we begin, um, any uh, lingering thoughts, comments, questions from last week before we jump into this week? I know some of you were not here, uh, so you're like, well, my only question is, what was it about? So we are recording this class. Yes, we are recording this class. So uh, it is available through um, the app. Uh, You can go on there. There's a a button that says listen. So if you miss an episode and you want to hear it, you're able to hear it. I don't think you're able to see the slides. Um, but obviously, uh, I will, I'm going to make some of this stuff available as we finish sections. Uh, just a reminder, this class, while it runs for 12 to 13 weeks, um, it is divided into sessions. So session one is dealing with Paul as a man, uh, and that will take us four weeks. And then we're going to look at Paul as a minister, the, the various offices that he occupied as a minister, uh, and then the la- and that will take four weeks, and then the final session will look at his writings, where we will overview uh, some of his writings, where we look at um, some of the epistles that he wrote uh, and try and understand them from a literary standpoint as well as uh, some of the main theme and how they fit into him as a person, seeing his theology and some of those things. So uh, I, I would tell you, keep in mind, we're doing everything that we are doing from sort of the... 50 to 60,000 foot view. It's trying to get a general scope of the life of Paul. If you want more detailed information, I would tell you your next step is on Wednesday nights. Uh, Jim Dalrymple and uh, Elijah Daly are teaching on the letters, the prison letters of Paul. So that's going to cover Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, um, some of those letters that uh, that. 
Paul would have written while he was in prison. And then further detail, obviously we're going through the book of Colossians on Thursdays and Sundays. So you're getting all these levels of Paul. Uh, you're you're going to be in Paul overload. I don't know if that's possible. But. Anything that you would like for us to, uh, uh, if you have a very, very quick um, prayer request, something that is just on your heart and mind um, that you would like for others to be praying about with you as well. Okay, well, I will pray just uh, asking for the Spirit's guidance as we, as we go through. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we, we pause to remember that you are a living God. You're an active God. You're a God who desires uh, to know us and to be known by us. And so, God, we pray that we might better understand your servant Paul uh, from the time that we spend together. And Father, that we might uh, be challenged in our own inner man in some way uh, as we see reflections of ourself in Paul, as we see uh, inadequacies in ourselves as we look at the life of Paul. So God, we pray that you will challenge us through your spirit, teach us uh, mold us into the character of Christ. These are the things that we pray for his sake to bring him glory. Amen. Okay, so last week we started talking about Paul and we, uh, we looked at the subject that Paul was a man who feared God. And um, in talking with some of you, there was a little bit of confusion about what I actually meant by that just because we never looked at a passage where it actually said Paul feared God. So I wanted to kind of give you my thought process um, in wrap up if you will. In the book of Acts non-Jewish people who worship Jehovah are called God-fearing people. That is they recognized that the culture in which they lived, which was primarily a pagan culture. It worshipped multiple deities, uh, or it was an anti-God. Uh, and you begin to think, are you describing you know, Christianity or uh, civilization in America or, or Europe? Uh, so very similar to our culture. But people who dedicated their lives to worshipping Jehovah who would do so in a way in accordance with the Jewish law. So they would travel to Jerusalem. They would participate in the festivals. Um, they would worship. Now understand they couldn't go into the uh, very center of the temple. There was a place for Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles. But these individuals were called God-fearing uh, people, God-fearing Greeks. Uh, Cornelius, for example, in, in, in the book of Acts is called a God-fearing Greek. Uh, and so what we are saying is Paul's life was characteristic of one who worshipped Jehovah, uh, who set aside God as the one true God. They worshipped in a monotheistic way, in a polytheistic culture, uh, and they worshipped a, a, a God that was based on truth, not on a relativistic type understanding of the world around him. And so I have this summary statement. Paul had a proper perspective of the world in relation to God. That is, as he saw the turmoil around him, it didn't matter what was happening. He knew that God was and God was in control. We read some of those passages. It doesn't matter if I'm in riches or in poverty. It doesn't matter if I'm in travail or if everything's going swimmingly. It doesn't matter if I'm shipwrecked or if the boat's sailing just fine. All of these things I have found to be able to rest in God. And so we talked about the fact that Paul was a person who feared God. And we saw that all the way from his, his formative years, his religious training, up through his time as an apostle, right? That's kind of what we're looking at. So this week we want to look at the idea of what does it mean to be zealous. And so I want to start with this question. I, I want you to just take a, a moment, 35, 40 seconds, and think about is there a time when you have observed in somebody else a reflection of your own character? Now this could be a, a positive thing. It could be a negative thing. Perhaps you looked at your child and you said, oh, that, 
little rugrats just like me, or it could be somebody else. So just take a, uh, about 30 or 45 seconds. I want you to, to think and visualize this in your mind. And if there's any brave soul that wants to share one in about a minute, that would take about a minute to share it. So I wanted to relay, I had to go to, uh, uh, because of my job and my certification, I have to have what's called continuing education unit. So you go and you have to recertify. I, I know a lot of teachers have to do this. Uh, and so for, uh, a, it was supposed to be 16 hours, but because of the weather, it was more like 13 and a half for me. Uh, but for 16 hours, I had to sit through uh, lecture after lecture, and to give you an idea of what I sit through, essentially these are uh, academic studies that have been done, and there's a lot of data that they're processing, looking at, and and you know they're giving you their summary of the data and why they think X happened and why Y happened, and sometimes it gets a little tedious. And so after the first day, uh, my boss and I were there together. He wanted to come to a different one of these. Uh, he's trying to visit some different ones. So he came down to Missouri and, and went to this one. And uh, we went out to supper with some uh, colleagues. And then we got back. And we were sitting around in the, uh, the hotel lobby. And we were just uh, discussing. I was drinking. I went and got myself a cup of hot tea, which I like at night. And there were some young kids that came in. Uh, and uh, there's not, there, I don't think there's anybody in here this young, so I don't think I'm going to offend anyone. But they were, I mean, recent college graduates. They were 20 to 25. As a matter of fact, at one point, I asked one of the young men, I said, how old are you? And I was sitting with actually one of our customers. He and I were, were talking about something. And we were just talking about how long we'd been in the industry and things like that. And this young man said to me, well, I'm 23. And I looked at the other, this uh, guy that I was with and I said, boy, that makes me feel old. How about you? Nothing about the fact that he was 23 or I wasn't ridiculing him. Just the fact that, wow, he's only 23 and we're not only 23. Uh, and this guy that I was with is in his late 50s. So both of us uh, quite a bit, you know, twice his age. But as we were talking, these young agronomists were asking a, there was a group of four or five of older agronomists there, questions. And that, well, what do you do if you run into this? What do you do if you run into this? Well, what if the customer says this? And it did not matter. I was just sitting back sort of observing for a while. Uh, it did not matter what these older agronomists said. They just had another question. They weren't listening. And I was telling my wife this morning, my first response was, I'm going to throat punch this kid. And then I realized that's probably not a Christ-like response. Uh, because he was just annoying. Because it, he wouldn't even take the time to listen to what somebody said. Uh, but all of a sudden, it was like a mirror. Because these images of times when I had been just like him came flooding to my mind. And so... Uh, eventually, one of the other ones said, well, you haven't said anything. And he, he was asking me, he said, what advice would you give us? And I said, one word, listen. I wish I had listened more than I had talked. And all of a sudden, they didn't want to talk to us anymore. <laughs> but in that moment, it was like God put a mirror up there, and I saw myself as a 20-something-year-old or a 50-something-year-old. But you, you had this realization, wow, I can be just like that. 
And I think in Paul, what in looking in these, these two characteristics, what we are doing is trying to see elements of our own selves in what we see in Paul. Um, and I just want you to ruminate on that while we are talking, because in reality, that's where we're going to end up at the end of the day. At the end of our, not the end of the day. <laughs> How long is this going to be? At the end of our time together. So we'll start with that. If I can get my, there we go. So uh, as last week, we're going to talk about some uh, issues from the formative years of Paul. And I will tell you, a lot of these you will have already taken notes on. But we're going to look at a little bit more closely uh, we kind of just mentioned them. Uh, repetition is the best form of learning. So I'm going to repeat today. And hopefully we will learn some of these things. So uh, one of the phrases that Paul uses about himself is that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And by that, uh, he was the best version of himself that he could be. Now, here is a... Uh, Rabbit trail question. What is a Hebrew? That means when the guy gets up in the morning and makes the coffee, right? Hebrew. What is a Hebrew? When Paul says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, what was he saying? Okay, descendant of Abraham. So... Hebrew was a, uh, we believe, a uh, condescending term that the uh, uh, Egyptians and the Canaanites would have used of the Israelites uh, when they left Egypt. If you remember from, if you're in my class when we were talking about the God of our Exodus, we talked about this, this Egyptian term, Hapiru. And it became a, it means nomad, it means wanderer. And they were just this people out there wandering around in the desert. So think about the Israelites for 40 years going from point A to point B and back to point A and to point C. Like they have no idea where they're going. That's really what this term means. But by this time, the Jewish people had embraced that as a term of endearment, as a way of signifying their relationship to their God. Because God was the one who was leading them in the desert. And so God was the one who made them nomads. So Paul was saying, I was a nomad of nomads. Not really. He's saying, I was the best version, Jewish version of myself that I could be. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, this was something that the law of Moses required. Uh, I was reading a little bit about why the eighth day, why not the you know, sixth day, seventh day, and I'm not going to go into all that, but uh, just know that this is what the law prescribed, and Paul was circumcised on the eighth day. Um, he was of the people of Israel in the tribe of Benjamin. Now this is pretty important. Um, so I have up here on the board Saul to Paul. Why, when we're first introduced to Paul, his name is Saul. He's referred to as Saul of Tarsus. However, throughout the book of Acts, he begins to be referred to as Paul. And in the epistles, he refers to himself as Paul. Why do we call Paul Paul and not Saul? Okay, um, could be, have something to do with David? He was walking to Antioch or Damascus when he got a transfer. Okay. And uh, God told him he will become Paul. Okay, so there is a common mis misconception in Christianity that it's on the road to Damascus that Jesus changes his name. I mean, he, dis he does this with many of his disciples, right? You are Simon? And your name shall be Peter. And we see this over and over again. That's probably not the reason. Okay, So wipe that from the memory bank. That is a, uh, that's where we basically assume that that's what happened because it happened so many other times in the Bible. Any other thoughts? Mark is on the right path. So uh, the first king of Israel, what was the first king of Israel's name? 
Saul. And he was chosen because he was tall, he was handsome, he was good looking. What tribe was he from? Say it out loud. Benjamin. He was from Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. So many people believe, there are scholars that believe that uh, Saul was named after King Saul, the first king of Israel. Now we're going to talk about in a minute, things didn't end well for him. So just kind of keep that on the back burner. So that's a possibility. There's a second possibility. So Paul was a Roman citizen. Okay? Remember Paul says when he, when he is arrested uh, and he's being tried in, in uh, Jerusalem, and Paul is a Jew in, in this Roman centurion, they're getting ready to flog him, and he's like, hey, uh, you guys supposed to beat Roman citizens? And the guy's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, no, we're not supposed to do that. And so he was shocked that this Jewish person would be a Roman citizen, but Paul was a Roman citizen. So if you think about Roman citizen, Roman citizens had three names. And I'm not going to try and... Or they had a prenomen, a nomen gentile, and a cognomen. So I gave you some examples. Gaius Julius Caesar, Marcus Tullius Cicero, Lucius Cornelius Scipio. So in reality, Paul's name probably was Saulus, and then some unknown family name that we don't know, Paulus. So it was like Saulus Gaius Paulus was probably his actual name. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 13, in verse 9, Luke in writing, he says this, he says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, he was also known as Paul. So he was known as this name. Now, there is another interesting theory that uh, I think plays into this. I think this was true. And so then it comes down to what do you want to be known as? Question, anybody in here have a first name that you don't like to be called by and you go by your middle name or a different name? What's your uh, action? Mine, uh, is Robert Scott. Okay, but and I'm so you go by Scott. Yeah. Yes. I went by Scott my whole life. Mm-hmm. My name is Michael. I don't, you know, my mother calls me Michael. That means I'm in trouble. And so everybody else calls me Mike. Uh, so this is something we can understand. Um, so I think what happened is Saul saw things in King Saul that he did not like. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 through 18, really, we read that the kingdom was ripped from Saul and given to another who is more worthy. And, and in Paul's mind, he sees that same thing. He was a Jew. He was focused. He was persecuting the church. And all of a sudden, he's confronted by Christ. And he says, I don't want to be known as Saul anymore. Because that part of me has been ripped away and it's being given to others. And who was Paul called to minister to? Gentiles. The kingdom being given to another. And in that he said, I want to represent in what I am called my ministry, my mission. And that is to Gentiles. The other thing, Saul is a very Jewish name. Paul is a very Gentile name. So if you're going, you know, you think of Paul when he says, I've become all things to all men. Uh, by that, he might even mean his name. So I think that those two together, the fact that Paul had two names, and secondly, he didn't want to be known as Saul because of its uh, uh, affiliation with Judaism and also King Saul. Probably two reasons. He was a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church. So we talked about this a little bit last week. When we say Paul was a Pharisee, what are we saying? Okay, within Judaism, you had, you might even call them political parties. That might be a good way of thinking about them. They're really religious parties, but they were uh, ways in which they viewed the world. Remember, we talked about the Sadducees did not believe in miracles. They didn't believe in life after death. Uh, as a matter of fact, they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, didn't accept anything else. Pharisees accepted all of the scriptures, all of the oral traditions, all of the writings of the Talmud. And so uh, Paul was both a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church. As a persecutor of the church, uh, you know, what is interesting, we kind of talked about this a little bit last week. Gamaliel said, leave these guys alone. 
if, if what is happening in them is of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. But Paul didn't listen to that. And I think in that we begin to see the, the manner in which Paul, his respect for God, and the idea that it's my job to protect the God that I worship, this monotheistic. And for a Pharisee to understand that God would put on flesh was not hard for them to understand. They, they, they could see God in um, appearing to Abraham. They could see God appearing to the Israelites in the wilderness and in the pillar of cloud. Uh, and they could see these things. So the idea that God himself would appear... Uh, as a theophany, what we would call that, as a, as a physical appearance, physical manifestation of the deity was not hard for them. What was hard for them was to say that there was somebody who was the Son of God who was equal to God. Somebody who was separate from but equal to, which is the definition of the Trinity. That is something they couldn't wrap their mind around. And that's why when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, they pick up stones and they're ready to stone him because they say, you're blaspheming. And so they saw in their, uh, in their belief system a, a, uh, what we call an antimony. It's the idea that they can't put these two things together. These things can't both be true. Okay, Two plus three cannot equal four. Right? Uh, that's in their mind how they saw it. Paul says he was faultless regarding the law. Now remember, sec Second Temple era Judaism saw that the, the, the worship in the temple, the sacrificial system, allowed them to atone for their sins. So what the Pharisees would do would, would be to say, if the law says if you walk in between these tables... You are guilty of sinning against God. So what they would say is, not only are we going to walk around the tables, we're going to walk outside the door, we're going to walk around the building to make sure we don't even come close to walking through the tables. However, there may be a time when somebody is out there and they're holding two tables and you walk between it unbeknownst. And you may sin. And so the point of the sacrificial system is to say those times when I accidentally sin, I am covered. Okay? So it's important to understand that distinction that they believed that their ability to keep the law kept them faultless before God. But there might be an off chance where they would make a mistake, an accident. Have you ever heard somebody refer to their sin as an accident or a mistake? And you're sitting there thinking, oh, that's a sin. <laughs> uh, quick story. There was a, a friend that I, I shouldn't call him a friend. He, uh, an acquaintance that I had uh, in school, and he was a kleptomaniac. This kid could not walk into a you know, dairy mart, which is what we had, which was our uh, Casey's and those kinds of things, without stealing something. Uh, I, I stopped one night after youth group and we were going to a restaurant. Our youth group was going to go eat. I stopped. I had to get gas. So I'm pumping gas and he comes out. And, and as he gets in the car, pulls out two candy bars, hands it to me. I'm like, where'd you get that? He's like, the store. Well, immediately I know because he had already said to me, I don't have any money. Can you float me some money for uh, our, we're going out to get pizza. Can you help me out? You know, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. So I knew he didn't have any money. <laughs> I'm like, ah, that's stolen. Uh, so uh, sometimes um, you see people's uh, character come out. So I asked him, I said, you know, did you steal it? And he, his comment to me was, well, I, I was walking by, it fell on the floor, and I just picked it up, put it in my pocket, and I forgot. I put it in my pocket, and I got out of here and remembered. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not how that happened. But if that's how you want to remember it, okay. Um, Paul advanced quickly in Judaism beyond his contemporaries. Uh, this is a statement that he makes about himself uh, that, you know, as it concerns the traditions of my fathers, uh, so this would be the Talmudic response. So in, in other words, instead of walking through the tables, we're going to go around. Paul was recognized as one who always walked around. He didn't even get close uh, to some kind of sin. Okay? Okay. 
Are you beginning to see a zeal in Paul for the law and the keeping of the law uh, before God? Mark. Um, so, I guess if they felt that they sinned and they so, if a bad thing happened to you personally, it was God's judgment. If you got leprosy, if you were poor, that was God's judgment on you. And you were doing something wrong. Think of Job's friends. Well, this is happening to you because you've got some hidden sin. But if you were wealthy, it didn't matter how you got your wealth. It didn't matter if you had cheated people out of it. Think of Jesus in the temple. They, they bring money because they have to pay a temple tax. But I'm sorry, your American money is no good here. You have to have gold. And oh, by the way, your dollar is only worth 50 cents here. They had cheated people to get that money, and they put the 50 cents in their pocket, you know, the people that ran that temple system. So uh, the idea that it, if you were wealthy, if you were healthy, you were blessed by God. Does that sound like anything that you might hear on religious TV today? <laughs> I'm trying not to name names. but um, And then finally, Paul was a disciple of Gamaliel. Uh, we talked about this last week. Gamaliel was the grandson of Hillel, one of the major schools of Pharisaic teaching in the Second Temple era. Uh, that's fairly important. Paul brings it up at least three times in his writing. I was a student of Gamaliel. So Gamaliel was well-known, well-respected. So that kind of covers his formative years. Let's talk about his religious training. Uh, member of the Pharisees, the religious party, I kind of already hit on this, so I'm not going to go into that. Uh, they believed in life after death. Uh, Pharisees did, and miracles. Um, what was it that the Pharisees had a problem with when Jesus did a miracle? Was it that he did a miracle, or when he did a miracle? When. When. <laughs> Remember, Jesus would constantly call them out on this. And he would say, uh, you know, if, if one of you has a son and your son or your donkey is sick or he falls into a ditch, you're going to get him out. Uh, but yet you tell your people who follow you, oh, you can't do that. So, again, uh, something that Paul would have subscribed to. Uh, they accepted the non-biblical traditions. They were careful students of the Hebrew Bible. Why is this important when we talk about Paul? What was Paul going to do with the rest of his life? He was going to travel. And as we talked about last week, um, they would have been given not a Bible. You know, they didn't have a Bible. They had scrolls. And a scroll might be a chapter. So in order to get 53 or 60 chapters in Isaiah, they would have to carry 60 scrolls. And that's just one book. So you can begin to see that would be carrying around a lot of stuff. So his ability to memorize and quote Old Testament scripture was intricate to him. Um, I want to bring this up because uh, I was talking with somebody and this came up. How many missionary journeys does Paul participate in? There's no right or wrong answer here. I just, three or four. Okay, three or four. It depends on your perspective of... Paul took three official missionary journeys. Okay? Um, most scholars see the fourth, what is called the fourth missionary journey, not as a missionary journey. That's when he's being transferred in Roman custody from Jerusalem to Rome. However, um, more and more people are beginning to say, well, I'm not sure that that wasn't a missionary journey. If you think of a missionary journey in terms of not when I decide I'm going, but when God decides we're going, Paul was still ministering on that journey. Matter of fact, many of his letters were written during that time frame. So while the scope of his ministry changed, um, he was still ministering. So I just thought I would bring that up. That's, you're going to see things that I will give you that are going to say four missionary journeys. And so in that, you're going to see my, my thought, my belief. Sorry, I'll get out of your way. Um, Paul was the best Jew and Pharisee of his generation. So let's turn to uh, the book of Galatians. 
And we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1, um, verse 13 is where we will start reading. And I think it's important, you know, this is Paul's writing. This is how Paul is describing himself. And actually, I'm going to back up into uh, verse 11.
And I am going to read, I'll start at verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, uh, let's stop there, Israel. When you read the name Israel in the Bible, is that synonymous with Hebrew? Is that synonymous with Jews? It's, it's kind of a uh, issue that comes up oftentimes. What do you think? Uh, yes, because uh, Isaac it was named Israel. Okay, so Israel is the name of Jacob, uh, Isaac's son. That's the, the name that he has given. But do you think it's synonymous with when we refer to Jews or Hebrews? What do you think? I mean, I'm not going to tell you there's a right answer or a wrong answer here. Some people see no difference. Well, and that is really the issue, Jim. Great. You have to almost infer from what the author is saying. In my opinion, when the author uses the term Israel, I always think he's referring to the ethnic people, the national interest of the nation, Israel, the, 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 the called out ones that became Israel. So the physical descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Whereas Jews refers to the spiritual descendants of Isaac and Jacob, in my opinion. But not everybody agrees with that. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, so he was of the people of Israel. So I think what he's saying is not, he's not talking about his Jewishness as much as he is. It'd be like you or I saying, I'm an American. Um, you might be a Scottish American. You might be a Irish American, you might have some some lineage that is different, but your national uh, affiliation is with the United States. I think that's what Paul's saying. Uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Notice again, Paul says, as for zeal. Um, persecuting the church. He identifies his uh, efforts for God prior to his conversion with zeal in persecuting the church. Interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess none of you are going to say, oh yeah, I did that. But um, we know of people within the Christian church today, Lee Strobel is a great example, who tried to disprove, he became a Christian trying to disprove the claims of Christianity. He set out to say there is no God. And as he researched it, he came to the conclusion there is a God and that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ who is the Savior of the world. So there are people that can really identify with Paul in this sense. Um, so as last week, I'm going to give you a group project and some of you are like, I, I was listening to Elijah Daly's class on Saturday. He said, I can tell the uh, introverts in the class are saying, oh, no. So if you really, really, really don't like to do this, um, this might be a good time to go to the to bathroom. I don't know. <laughs> go get a cup of coffee. Um, but if what I would like for you to do is to spend some time looking at these scriptures either individually or in your group together, and answer this question. What does it mean to be zealous for God? Okay, Any, everybody understand the task? Comments, questions, criticisms? Okay, go. Okay, what does it mean to be zealous for God? As you read about Paul and some of his, uh, what he did, and as you think about your own life and uh, seeing yourself in Paul or Paul in yourself, however you want to look, what does it mean to be zealous for God? To do it his way. To do it his way? Because he has a lot of knowledge. He feels like, you know, he has all this knowledge, but not faith. Okay. You know I mean, to be zealous, you feel like you have all this, but... You're without the faithful. You have to know his word. I think the thing is, is that's, that, that's the biggest thing is, um, 
I guess the best way I could explain it, when I tried to choose a church, I went through and was trying, well, why is this one Catholic? Why is this one this one? Mm. And the biggest thing is, is that there's a lot of man-made laws. Mm -hmm. there's, and, and this, to me, is what exactly is what Saul was doing. Mm -hmm. He thought he was, he was following the man-made laws. Okay. Okay? And so to me, once he found out, here's Jesus Christ. Here's these man-made laws. Here he was doing the man-made mm -hmm. laws. And mm -hmm. He was killing people. And then he said, oh, this is an end. Yeah. What, 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 is, what is about life is God. Okay. And so, yes, you have to learn, but learn what's in the book. Yeah. And learn what God, God's law. And then he became zealous mm -hmm. for the, the eternal life, the yeah. right thing. Yeah. That, that's kind of, that's how I took that zealous here. So zeal could be in myself and my appearance. Or it could be in promoting the things that God desires, God wants. Right? So, Paul is a man who is zealous for God. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, he actually says, I was zealous toward God. You can write these down and look at the, the whole verse. In Acts 23, 1, he says, I lived in good conscience before God. Remember that idea that I was, I was blameless, I was faultless before the law. Uh, Acts 24, 16, I was without offense before God and men. Zeal for God is often mis misunderstood as being busy serving God in religious activity. It's about doing, and really it's about self-promotion. One of the things that I saw in myself in that young man this past week in uh, St. Joe is this idea that I, I wanted to you know, make myself look smarter than I was or, or be more important than I was. And we can do that same thing, quote-unquote, for God in the church. Um, if fear of God is having the world in proper perspective, then zeal for God is having God in proper perspective. So we talked last week about Paul viewed the world as something that was not nearly as important as what God could do to him. We talked about, remember when Jesus said to his disciples, don't worry about those that can destroy the body. Worry about the one that can destroy the body and the soul. He has full sway over everything that is. And so rather than worrying about the world and the creation, have the world and the creation in perspective. This too shall pass. Whatever this too is, it will pass. Well, when it comes to zeal, it's about understanding who God is. Paul says there in, in Romans, he said they have a zeal for God, but it's not based on knowledge. They think they understand who God is, and they think that they're obtaining this right standing before God by doing all the right things, when in reality, God says, that's not what I want at all. In the Old Testament, what does God say? It is not sacrifice that I want. It's mercy. It's a humble heart. Those are the character qualities that I want. Yes? Don't you think, Mike, though, that um, I think it's always a battle? Mm. Because I think that when you're good at something and you're passionate about something and you have a talent for something mm -hmm. and people recognize you, whether it's preaching the Word of God or whether it's in your, your profession, mm -hmm. that it's just always a battle to yep. not accept that as your accomplishment that is something that God has to yes. you. It's, it's a daily battle. Yes. And, and I would say that is exactly why he's given us his spirit to help us. Because you're exactly right, Joyce. We, on our own, we're always going to go down the path of self-aggrandizement. But his spirit will constantly humble us. Um, so, yes. So, would you say that zeal is a good thing that can then be uh, because of our sin nature, because if it's not based in knowledge, we kind of talked about in that Romans passage as well that um, zeal does when we're zeal in the flesh doesn't want to be confronted with the truth. It mm -hmm. doesn't want to change or adapt. It's it's so confident in whatever it is that they're confident in. So, but we, I mean, can zeal be good? Yeah. yeah. Jesus, when um, he is described as when he's reading from Isaiah, as zeal for the Lord has consumed him. So obviously, in the presence of the lack of a sin nature, it can be a good thing. The problem is, we have a sin nature and we have to guard against it, which I think is Joyce's point. Aren't all things new? Yes. 
is whether we use them for God or mm. for Yes, it's perspective. So, um, Paul was a man who was zealous for God because he had this proper perspective of God. He, he understood who God was. Now, Sometimes, uh, remember, because we're trying to look at the entire scope of his life, it depends on where you take the slice. It's kind of like data. If I take the slice from over here, I can make this look good. If I take the totality of it, it doesn't look so good. So here is the question that I want you to sort of ruminate on. You have the world, right? And we have God, and we understand that keeping these two in a proper perspective... Is, is crucial. Um, and that is a, a daily battle. As a matter of fact, I would even go so far as to say it's a moment-by-moment -moment battle. Because Mike always wants to rise to the surface. So, um, oh, sorry, I forgot about this. Here's my question. Which of these characteristics made Paul worthy as Christ's servant? His fear of God, his zeal of God, which of them made him worthy? Both. Both? Or none? Well, that's not fair. <laughs> what do you think? I, I, I'm asking you. Okay, so none of us are worthy? What did you say, Susie, fear? And what I'm getting at here, we know the rest of the story. We know God chooses Paul to be used by him as an apostle. And so I'm asking, why did God choose Paul? Was it because of his fear of God or his zeal for God? What would you say? Well, I just said because he wanted to. Okay, because he wanted to. <laughs> I like that answer, by the way. I just think, you know, he was a pretty, you know, dude. I think, then he, you know, he, I mean... As I was telling my sister, I said, if you look at the Bible, he didn't go to people who had the resume from, you know, the CFO or this, the CFO or that. I said, he went, and he, he, I think he used people and converted them, and people go, oh my gosh, this is the guy who used to have a job. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think he used them as, you know, I mean, when you stop, mm -hmm. somebody that was shooting everybody and killing everybody, and, and now he is going and he's proclaiming God, yep. I think he, to me, the whole Bible is about that. So she brings up a, a great point. If, if you look at the, the, the scope of history, why does God make Adam and Eve in the first place? Why does God choose Abraham? Why does God choose Noah? Why does God choose Moses? you begin to see a pattern with God that says, it doesn't matter what the individual is. There's a lesson for us in that. If there is one thing I want you to see in Paul, it is not that he is more worthy than you. As a matter of fact, he will say of himself, I am the chief of all sinners. I am the least of the apostles. That's what makes him worthy. And so, as we move into these next two segments of looking at Paul's life, we're going to shift our, our focus, if you will, from what, what Paul is to what God is doing in calling him, uh, in converting him, and then ultimately in pushing him into, into ministry. Well, yep. his change of his theology was not rooted in some spiritual experience because everything up to that point was just the opposite. Mm -hmm. Because he did everything he knew what to do and in his mind he was doing everything right for God. And then he went from being a righteous uh, uh, a Jewish person just flipping around later and saying that he's the chief of all sinners, which is just the opposite of what he spent his whole life doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, and think, think about, if you have read Second Timothy, think about how Paul 
describes his upcoming death. Does anybody know the imagery that he uses? I am already being poured out as a drink offering. If you don't know what a drink offering is, study it this week. Go back to the book of Leviticus and look that up. Because Paul saw that drink offerings were part of worship. And Paul identified his death as worship of God. All of a sudden you begin to see a perspective of how a man could say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, if that is his perspective. Wouldn't it be great to have that in our life? Wouldn't it be great for that to be the fundamental perspective with which we live our lives? That our fear of God and our zeal for God is based on honoring and glorifying God, not about ourselves. You see, I think that's the big lesson that we take away from who Paul was as a man all the way through his life, what he was and what he became. Comments, questions, criticisms, rotten tomatoes. I have a question, but it has nothing to do with this. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> uh, this is probably blow you away because, but I'm just, you know, really mm -hmm. still trying to learn the Bible. My sister and I, you know, we, we talked before she went into her coma and everything. And I said, well, here, Kathy, I said, here's, here's some questions that I have. I said, I believe that God believed that his humankind that he was making on this earth could love, because he said our greatest commandment really is to love, and to love one another as himself. He wanted us to love God, he wanted us to love each other. I says, he had me driving down the road here, I don't know, maybe eight months, nine months ago, Adam and Eve never was married. Mm -hmm. Nowhere, am I right? Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve was never married. Mm -hmm. And God said, go populate the world. Mm -hmm. I said, now people, you know, usually they're not going to commit the sex acts unless they have feelings for each other and they're supposed to love each other, right? Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I said, so Kathy, I said, when you think about this, you know, I think God thought we would obey, that we would not go to that tree of evil and eat that fruit. And I says, I can't find out how many years. Make you wonder how many years before they actually got that. Be Is there anywhere that you found how many years? So, and I, and I told her, I says, you know what? And, and I says, and then one line went to another line, and the world was wiped away. I said, so when people are so easily to condemn about, well, you didn't get married, you know, this and this, and this I said, the first man and woman. Mm -hmm weren't married. I mean, I'm not, not, not saying that. We were just talking about, all I was trying to get her to, to realize is that everybody sins and everybody makes mistakes. And if you look at the Bible, it's full of that. But I said, you know, even on marriage, I, said, I don't think God thought we were all going to turn, we were all going to sin. Because otherwise, he would have had them marry. Mm -hmm. Am I right? They never did marry. Well, right? your, your question, uh, first of all, it's a very complex question because if you look at how Jesus looks at that circumstance, right. he says in the Gospels, what God has joined together. Right. So we may not understand how that joining together happened, right. but in the mind of God, which right. is Jesus, he says they were joined together. Right. So in some sense, there wasn't a marriage ceremony that we would, but there was a joining. What about the other people, you know, when he said go out and populate with a... That's what I told her. I said, you know, I don't know whether people got married back then. Mm -hmm. but that was a question that I had to ask. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know. I said, but I know that it was after the flood mm -hmm. that they you read about people marrying and everything like that. So I, I told her, I said, you know what? The world is full of lots of questions and answers. But I never even realized. I said, you know, those people who say go out and populate. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. you don't find anything about that. I said, because I. I said, the biggest thing is that people should love each other. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't hurt each other. They shouldn't lie. And I said, that that's what the whole thing is all about. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I just was curious about that. Yeah. And so my answer to you would be, while there isn't a quote-unquote marriage ceremony, right. there is some understanding in the mind of God that that is a union that is not to be broken. And therefore, it becomes sacred. Correct. Here's the point. When God says this is important, it becomes sacred. That's right. And that is key. Uh, sacredness uh, in the mind of God is something that shouldn't be violated. So um, let me pray for us because it is time for us to go and we're already over time and then we'll be done. Father, we thank you uh, for the example of Paul, uh, not only his failures, but his humility, uh, God, his trust in you, 
Father, we pray that we might know, we might understand this hope, we might understand this truth, we might understand this transforming power that Paul understood. Father, we pray that you would make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can honor and glorify you with our lives, whether we live or die. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.